0: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Thursday July 26th 2018 <laughs> I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we're going to talk to David Grant. He is the founder of Military by Owner, a website that works to help veterans find a place to live, and actually, not just veterans, but military service members. Anyone who's looking to live near a military installation, it's basically a one-stop shop to find real estate listings, whether you're looking to rent or to buy or to put your house up for rent or up for sale. We're going to talk to him about where that idea came from during his time serving in the military when he actually started and how it's been going strong for two decades since. And we're going to talk to Joe Schinelli, Executive Director of AMVETS, about the latest and greatest going on with his organization. We'll recap their HEAL event that he called in from last Thursday down in Tennessee. And also, of course, talk to him about the confirmation of Robert Wilkie as Secretary of the VA. And a number of other issues that are, well, of importance to AMVETS in general. Joe Schinelli, of course, a Marine Corps veteran and, oddly enough, my classmate at the Defense Information School. Joining me now in studio is someone who was not my classmate at the Defense Information School. In fact, when he got there, it was quite a long time after I'd been there because I am old. Please welcome super producer Jake Hughes to the studio. Jake, good morning. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Eric. How are you? I'm okay. It was an odd morning, though. I wake up at my normal time, and my wife is not in the bed. My son is, which is not normal, but my wife isn't. So I'm like, oh, I guess she woke up early, I guess, and she's downstairs. Go downstairs, she's not there. The dog is there laying on the couch, she's not. Huh, maybe she stepped outside for a moment. Went downstairs, looked outside, her car is there, she's not. Check the places where sometimes she goes for a walk, she's not there. Come back to the house, look around. Turns out that apparently after my son got into bed, he was kicking and moving and it woke her up. She couldn't get back to sleep. And then she went downstairs for a little bit, came back, and then apparently I was snoring when she came back upstairs. So she moved into our son's bed, and that's where I found her this morning. So I had, I had texted her moments before that, like, where are you? I'm looking for you, and I can't find you. Then I happened to go upstairs and had the idea to check my son's room, and there she is. And then, How
1: comfortable can a five-year-old's bed be, though? Uh,
0: I think if you're smaller, and she is, uh, ah. it, it works. For me, I'm pretty sure the thing might collapse underneath my weight. It's one of those ones, it's open underneath, It's like got a play area underneath it, and then there's a ladder he has to climb up to get into bed, so think like a bunk bed, but without the bottom bunk right. Um, and I, I don't think it's horribly uncomfortable. and I think the fact that she's uh, not too big allows her to uh, she she's a small person. she's able to to sleep in places like that. I thought she might have moved down to the guest room, which is much more comfortable than our son's bed, but you know just one of those odd things. So I was running a little bit behind this morning.
1: but, but. hey, good news. look behind
0: you. Yeah, there's no rain right yeah. now outside. We'll see how long that lasts, because I believe <laughs> there is rain in the forecast for today. But it has just been throughout the East Coast, really, the mid-Atlantic region and upwards. It's just been miserable for about a straight week. I mean, the rain started on Saturday, I think it was, and it's now Thursday. This is the longest gap we've had uh, between rain and rain in that time, in that time period of what, six days or whatever. Yep. And it was raining late last night because I had to go out to my car at about midnight last night and it was raining outside at midnight. So it's what, eight o'clock now. So we've had uh, somewhere between eight and less than eight hours of no rain, which I'll take. Of course, people around the country, not all dealing with rain. Out in New Mexico, this time of year, they tend not to get much rain at all. It's typically about 100 and 50, 160 degrees out in New Mexico, and there are 172,000 veterans, give or take, living in New Mexico, Jake. Did you know that?
1: I did not know that.
0: Did you know that there are some unique laws in uh, New Mexico, including that it's a misdemeanor to trip a horse, but if the horse gets hurt, gets bumped up to a fourth-degree felony?
1: I did not know that. Yeah,
0: and in Las Cruces, New Mexico, it's actually illegal to carry a lunchbox down Main Street. Ah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) There are some strange laws in this country. Most of the the horse laws date back to before there were cars. I remember an AFN commercial about uh, how it was illegal to um, have your car on the road when a horse was on the road because it could scare the horse. So what you were required to do by law, there were two possibilities. First step, stop the car, pull over, and cover it with a sheet so that the horse wouldn't be able to see it. And then if that still didn't work, you had to take your car off of the road and dismantle it, take it apart until the horse passed. What? Yeah. It's an AFN commercial. You learn a lot of ridiculous things through AFN commercials, including where the term Cup of Joe came from in one of the most ridiculous uh, commercials ever, ever, ever produced by AFN, featuring a Navy chief drinking coffee, because (laughs) that's what Navy chiefs do. Yeah. But the reason we're talking about New Mexico is... You can find out about those laws in Jonathan Copanger's latest Benefits in My Backyard segment. And you can also, of course, find out about some of the benefits in New Mexico for veterans living out there right at connectingvets.com. Here's a good one New Mexico has tax exemption for low and middle income residents with a maximum exemption of $2,500. To qualify, the amount on one of the lines must be equaled or less than $36,667,000 if you're single or $27,500 married filing separately or $55,000 married filing jointly. Basically, depending on how much you make, you might get a big tax break if you are a veteran. They also have property tax exemptions for veterans with a 100% service-connected disability and a legal resident of the state. You may qualify for a complete property tax waiver on your primary residence. Uh, there's also exemption from excise taxes on vehicle purchases or all that stuff for veterans who suffer the loss or completely The loss or complete loss or use of one or more limbs due to military service. So that's an interesting one. You've also got some education benefits. They've got a Vietnam veteran scholarship, a wartime veteran scholarship fund. That one can be used by any veterans who have served in combat since 1990 uh, who have exhausted all their available federal GI benefits. So that's pretty cool because there are some people who are working on degrees that take... A longer time to get or go to grad school. And the GI Bill is basically set up to provide you with four years of college. The fact is, there are many degrees and many uh, circumstances that can require you to be there longer than that. Uh, for example, when I was going through school there, I had to go basically one extra semester. It ended up falling under. Uh, I didn't go over on my GI Bill benefits. I have about one semester plus uh, left of benefits remaining. But the reason uh, that I had to go that extra one was I had to meet a minimum requirement of courses taken at that university after going to a community college. I mean, it, it can it can add up. So this Wartime Veteran Scholarship Fund out out there in New Mexico is for those who have used all their GI Bill benefits. There's a little bit extra to help you continue on if you haven't yet finished your degree. They also have one for the children of deceased veterans between 16 and 26 years old who have a parent who was killed in action or died from wounds incurred in battle. They qualify for a full tuition waiver at any state-funded post-secondary school, as well as a $150 stipend per semester to be issued to help with books or fees. Hmm, that's, that's a cool. good one. When you're applying for a state job in New Mexico, there's also a benefit here where veterans, as they do in most states, get preference points. They may be applied if you have an honorable discharge. You have to provide your DD-214. And or your VA disability determination letter at the time of application. So ten points given to veterans with a service-connected disability. Five points given to all eligible veterans. So that's pretty big when you're looking for a job in the state there. Whether it is, uh, you know, state police, whether it's working for the government, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, one one industry that's certainly not going away anytime soon is the government. Yeah. So there's always <laughs> going to be jobs there for people to do. They have support centers for families like their Veterans Integration Centers, which provide temporary services to low-income veteran families. Also, the New Mexico Utility and Energy Assistance Program. So if you're struggling with the bills and you're a veteran, they'll be able to help you out. When it comes to entertainment, boy, they have two of the things that we've noticed on a lot of these Benefits in My Backyard segments that are pretty cool. One is fishing and hunting licenses. Veterans with any service-connected disability can apply for a $10 small game and fishing license. Veterans with 100% disability are eligible for a free lifetime license. Oh, wow. some states, like my home state of Connecticut, there are fishing and hunting licenses, which, let's be honest, in Connecticut, it's fishing. You're not doing much hunting in Connecticut. It's just not allowed. Very, very restricted. Um you're only getting the free one if you have 100% service-connected disability. If you're just a veteran, well, you're paying the same as everybody else is. When it comes to New Mexico, veterans with any service-connected disability, whether it's 5% or 95%, you can apply for a $10 small game and fishing license. And if you hit that 100% service-connected rating, free lifetime license, you're eligible for it. Also, admission to state parks for veterans with a 50% or higher service-connected disability. You qualify for a free state monument and museum pass. They do have veterans' homes out there as well. Eligibility requirements include honorable discharge, at least 90 days on active duty. Also, Gold Star parents and veteran spouses are eligible for admission. There are also cemetery and burial benefits that are available in pretty much every state. Uh, And you can go to ConnectingVets.com and read all about it and find links, more importantly, To each and every one of those things on there. We just talked about the educational benefits that they offer in New Mexico. There are educational benefits for veterans in just about every state out there. I think in each one that have been profiled in the benefits in my backyard segment. But those GI Bill benefits are about to change on the national level for Uh, everybody. Yes. We've talked about this. We talked with Hill vets last week about it, as well as IAVA. A lot of people very upset about these changes. And the VSOs, including IAVA and others, are looking to uh, call on Congress and lawmakers to stop this. Because what's happening is the Department of Defense is going to reverse a very recent change to the GI Bill. So this forever GI bill allows you to transfer your GI bill benefits to your children, your dependents, your spouse anytime. Basically, if you like, if I've, I've finished up, My uh, college, uh, I'm never going back and sitting in a classroom again, is my plan as it stands now. I still have like a semester left on my GI Bill benefits. I'd be able to allow my son to use that, or my wife, although she's already got her MBA, so I can't imagine unless she's going for a doctorate, which I don't think she wants (laughs) to do, Uh, I could transfer it to my son. Well, this new DOD policy, which goes into effect next year, would allow service members with at least six, but no more than 16 years of service to transfer their post nine eleven GI Bill to their children and spouses. Okay, that minimum of six, I can understand that. They want you to serve a specific amount of time to be eligible to uh, take advantage of this aspect of the GI Bill to transfer it to your children. The problem that's sticking out to most people is that 16-year maximum. What this is saying is, if you do 16 years or more, so if you retire, essentially, there aren't many people doing 16 years, being four years away from retirement and going, man, I'm done with it, I'm going to get out. Uh, It does happen occasionally, and we can talk about what happened to me, for example, of why I got to 13 years and then got out, not of my own choice or volition. 16 years of service, you're no longer eligible to transfer it after you hit those 16 years. So you have to transfer the benefits, meaning you can't use them anymore, to your spouse or dependent. The reason that the Department of Defense is saying this, and I still have questions over why DOD is able to make a decision on a veteran benefit, it doesn't seem like uh, something that they should be able to do because it's not in their wheelhouse. It's not their area of concern, typically. They're saying that it's not – that it's a recruiting tool is basically what it is. They're saying that the GI Bill is a recruiting tool to them and not much more and that they're essentially losing money on it for people who retire because all they're trying to use it for is get people into the military. And then when people retire, well, who cares about them? They've already got them. See what this is this is the
1: same thing I talk about talk about a lot the military screwing over people who have been in for a long time like it always happens like when we when need more troops when they try to raise troop levels they don't you know in, increase or I'm sorry, when we cut troop levels. They don't decrease the amount of people going to basic training. They
0: make life miserable for people that have been in for 16, 17 years and hope they get out. Because if you, if you change it for the people who are coming in, you're going to get less people to come in if yep. you take things away from them. The young Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Coast Guard recruit is not thinking about GI Bill benefits for their children, typically, unless they already have children. You're 18, 19 years old. The average one, you're thinking like, well, I'm going to go on. Who cares? 16 years. I'm never doing 16. Years. Then you get to 16 years and you realize you're at a point where if you didn't finish your degree while you were in using the GI Bill, Bill benefit or not, I mean, there's other programs for while you're on active duty, you have to decide whether you're going to forego those benefits to make sure that your children have them, which is basically putting you between a rock and a hard place. And they're doing it because they know they've got them. You're not going to, I mean, at 16 years, if you're upset about this, it's not like you're going to be, you're going to go, well, Fine then. I'm getting out. Either way, you're still going to have to make that decision. It's not, you know, after you get out, you can do whatever you want. No, it's 16 years. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a very shady thing that they're doing. It's them knowing, well, this person's got 16 years in. They're not going to not retire. So we can basically take this benefit away from them and they will uh, have to deal with that. Who this is particularly affecting is those people who it goes into effect next year, according to uh, what's been passed through. Those who have like 14, 15 years in now who thought they'd be able to get out, go to the GI Bill, finish up their schooling, then pass on whatever was left to their children, that's something that they didn't have to worry about. Now they do. Now they've got a decision to make in the next year or so, and they may have been planning to do it a specific way and now won't be able to do it. Then you have the other people, like me, like I was. I was in for 13 years. I was planning on doing 20. The Navy decided to cut 60,000 individuals, and hey, I was one of those 60,000. They did offer me a cross-rating, going and doing another job, uh, despite the fact that I you know, personally think I was one of the best people who did my job in the Navy. Uh, Didn't matter. Sailor of the year on my ship was forced out under the same program. Um, Didn't want to switch rates or anything like that. I was at 13 years in. Three years later, uh, I, I did have a child. But if I didn't have any children when I was – so let's say you're in. You, you're you not married. You've not got a family. You do 20 years. You retire. This wasn't a concern to you. You don't have kids. Then you fall in love. You get married and have a kid. Guess what? You'll never be able to transfer those benefits to that kid. doesn't matter that they weren't around, so it wasn't something that you had to think of then. The military and the DOD here are basically – I think this is a uh, – a bad decision. I think it's it's money based and nothing else. Uh, they're worried about the cost of, you know, these people who who go in and don't use the GI bill. For example, Jake, you haven't used any of your GI bill benefits, right? Nope. There you go. Not yet. So they're they're thinking, well, if if Jake gets married and has a kid, Jake may never go to college, his kids might though, and then we'll have to pay for them. So we might have, you know, skipped by on Jake not using the GI bill benefits, but then he'll be able to give them to his kid and we're still paying out. Yeah, because it's something that you promised to us. It's something that you told us we could do.
1: Exactly. It's a recruitment tool, right? But after I joined, I
0: earned that benefit. So now that you're taking it away from me is, well, bullcrap. Imagine if they gave you a... Reenlistment bonus; those happen in certain jobs, not in the job that I did. I got for, two of them, not for Navy uh, mass communication specialists. You got two reenlistment bonuses. Imagine if they told you about this reenlistment bonus and you were going to come in. Uh, the reenlistment bonus, uh, you know, would be enacted like a year after you reenlisted to make sure that you fulfilled the contract and all that stuff. And then six months later, they told you, "Oh, just kidding. We're taking that away." That's the same thing. That's taking a benefit away that you've promised someone, something that you've given to someone. So, again, they're not. it's, it's not going to affect the service member themselves being able to go to school on the GI Bill. It's more about their families, their dependents, their spouses, the ability to transfer those benefits. Uh, and it's got a lot of people upset. Paul Rykoff of IAVA uh, went on a Twitter rant against it, which uh, I fully agree with him on. And the way that he said it, here's a tweet from Paul. You can follow him on Twitter. It is Paul Reichoff. R-I-E-C-K-H-O-F-F says alert again. Our GI bill is under attack again. Bureaucrats in Washington are trying to balance budgets on the backs of our vets. Again, America is breaking its promise to our vets. And again, IAVA is rallying vets and allies to defend the GI bill. It's got a press release from IAVA. This is something that uh, they're very focused on. And as the VSO that's comprised of I would say the youngest membership because it's only eligible. You're only eligible for IAVA membership if you are a veteran of Iraq or Afghanistan. Whereas VFW, American Legion, and vets, they skew older. They have an older demographic. They sure have young vets. I'm a VFW member and I'm a younger one, for now. <laughs> Thirty-eight years old, so I'm getting there. Uh, halfway to eighty almost. We are looking at an organization here in IAVA that this is something that their entire constituency is upset about. And and I am not an IAVA member, but I am upset about this because, not for me, again, I've already gone through this and I don't have to make a decision on transferring those benefits because I'm already out. This is for people still serving who it will affect. I see how this could negatively impact someone like me who had children later on in life and how... You could have a child, you could fall in love at the 16-year mark in the military, have a kid a year or two later, and that kid will never be eligible for your GI Bill benefits. There are no exceptions that we've seen in this legislation, or not even legislation, just a a change. Just DOD is making it. No one needs to approve it, apparently. It's just DOD says it is. So there it goes. Uh, You can find out more about that by clicking on ConnectingVets.com, reading the story that our own Kayla Jackson put up there uh, with VSOs.
1: Sorry, I'm sorry. This is completely wrong, but I just saw a three-legged dog
0: walk by. Oh, It was hopping and hopping yeah. and hopping. There's a window was, behind me, and Jake yeah. isn't paying attention to what I'm doing. So we have uh, you know, all those things to talk about. also have a horrible story here to talk about out in San Diego of a slain United States Navy corpsman. 24-year-old corpsman Devin Rideout was murdered by a man who, it turns out, is a Marine Corps deserter and diagnosed schizophrenic. His name is Eduardo Ariola. He's 25 years old, and they say that he ambushed rideouts, shooting the unsuspecting corpsman three times in the chest and twice in the head. This is being reported by Navy Times at her residence out in uh, Riverside, or sorry, Oceanside, California. She had just left Camp Pendleton, still in uniform, going home. This guy lived in the same complex and apparently was just a crazy person and someone who is also a Marine Corps deserter. So uh, this is someone who probably, you know, you can say shouldn't have been out on the streets, but it brings to mind this, this discussion that we're having over are guns, the problem or are crazy people, the problem, this is someone who was a schizophrenic and was somehow able to get his hands on a firearm. How did that happen? And why was this person if they were violent and they, it seems uh, from what we're hearing that he, he certainly had a history of uh, some problems that he um he shouldn't have been out there and that's that's really just what it what it should have been uh they say that he did not know her but they made a disturbing discovery this is again being reported in navy times that when they looked at his vehicle the corpsman's name devon rideout her name along with the names of two others were listed on the car's radiator accompanied by the words rest in peace and references to the quran Police say that they're still looking into those two other names and trying to figure out exactly what was going on there. But this is, uh, man, this is just a horrible story. Someone going home from work and uh, just being murdered in cold blood by what was clearly a disturbed individual. And you start wondering, this is when you have to ask these questions. Why was he out on the street? Why did he have a firearm in his possession? You just don't know. HM3 Rideout had been in the Navy since February 13, stationed at Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton since November of 2017, following stints at Naval Station Norfolk, Virginia, and Naval Medical Center Portsmouth, also in Virginia. A statement from Navy Medicine West says, We are all deeply saddened by the tragic loss of Petty Officer Rideout. Our heartfelt condolences go out to her family and friends. Just Just a truly horrible story. Most of the stories that we have on Connecting Vets right now, well, they're not quite that horrible. There are some good things and some bad things going on in the world of the veteran sphere, I guess you could say. And you can find out all about them at ConnectingVets.com. And again, follow us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We've got some interesting stories at the top of our docket there on ConnectingVets.com American Indian veterans getting the VA's ear finally. The Illegal immigrant who was held after delivering pizza to an army base in Brooklyn has been released after a judge apparently felt that the rules that he broke in coming into this country don't matter. We've got one about President Trump speaking at the VFW National Convention with some remarks that some people felt were a little bit too political and also some remarks attacking the media where you've got people looking at those in different ways. Tomorrow, we're going to have Leo Shane from Military Times in studio with us. We'll talk to him about that. He covers that and so much more. He wasn't out there at the VFW Convention in Kansas City, but he certainly was aware of it and covering it. They were streaming it online. We're going to talk to him about his thoughts on that as one of the – One of those media members who governs veterans issues. I think a lot of people took the president's statement to be remarks uh, against the media in general, while others thought that the president was speaking specifically about the press corps that follows him wherever he goes. And, uh, of course, many of them seem to think that everything he does is the wrong thing to do. Uh, I think... I fall in more into the camp of the latter that that's who he was talking about. But, you know, when you're the president and you've got a microphone in front of you, people are going to take your words uh, to mean what they want them to mean. And yep. it's it started a discussion, Jake, between uh, a lot of people about, you know, well, <laughs> surprise, surprise, what they like or don't like about the current administration. I've also got a feature on a very interesting unit, the U.S. Army's only all-Mexican-American infantry unit to see action in World War II. And... Another groundbreaking thing, 70-plus years later, a black female pilot who made history in the Alabama National Guard. How did she make history? Well, she's the first black female pilot in the <laughs> Alabama National Guard history. You can go check out that and so much more at ConnectingVets.com. Still to come on today's show, we're going to talk to Dave Grant. He is the founder of Military By Owner. It's a website that basically works to provide information and listings of real estate for people looking to move into the vicinity of military installations. Let's say you're uh, taking orders down to Fort Hood, where Jake spent some time in Texas, and you're not going to be living on base. You want to look out in town. You don't want to live in a hotel for a few weeks after you get there. Military by Owner gives you an idea of what's available, gives you the prices, all that stuff. Uh, we're going to talk to Dave about where that idea came from while he was serving in the Marine Corps. But before that, we're going to talk to another Marine. Joe Chanelli Executive Director of AMVETS, is in studio. We'll talk To him about everything that's going on with his organization in just a moment. Morning briefing back after this.
2: We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day.
1: Online and all over social media Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets.
0: Welcome back to the Morning Briefing. I'm your host Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and connectingvets.com, that's your website. Entracom Radio's connectingvets.com is connecting vets every day through a variety of programs and through a variety of information. Yeah, we've got great audio like this show and the Vet Story podcast, but we've got a lot more than that. We've got video. Jake Hughes just shot a video of him doing the Army's new PT test after he's out of the service. I don't know how well that's going to go, but when that video is up, you'll be able to see it on ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, we have great articles focusing on what's happening in the veteran community news-wise benefit-wise, like the Benefits in My Backyard series done by Jonathan Copanger, you should check out all of that on the website, ConnectingVets.com, and by following us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest wants to get you into a home. And he wants to do it in a pretty interesting way. And we're going to talk to him about that right now. His name is David Gran, and he is the CEO and founder of militarybuyowner.com. David, good morning. How are you today?
3: Hey, Eric. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Is- well-
0: Absolutely a pleasure to have you in studio. And before we talk about your business and the, the pretty interesting things that military by owner is doing out there, let's first talk about David Grant. who exactly is David Grant and where did you, where did you come from? When did you join and What did you do in the military?
3: Well, I, I kind of grew up on a small Lake in Northern Illinois and my dad was a Navy pilot before he, uh, um, became an airline pilot. So I was always around the military. I always had, uh, Kind of that in the back of my mind is I went to college in uh, southern Illinois in Carbondale in an aviation program. And uh, towards my junior year, I was a flight instructor, and I'm out there on the flight line one day, and this uh, Marine lieutenant comes up in dress blues, and there was uh, another pilot over to the side. They brought a little training aircraft in, and he's got looks like he has this big secret. <laughs> and a big secret, he's kind of looking around left and right, making sure nobody else was listening. And he goes, do you know anybody here that wants to fly high-performance aircraft? And I just <laughs> broke out laughing because, you know, here were all these young guys <laughs> flying airplanes. And we're like, yeah, everybody here. And he said, do you want to go for a ride? And I'm like, sure. You know, next thing you know, I'm in the uh, PLC program. That <laughs> summer, I uh, went to OCS in Quantico uh, for a 10-week program. Uh, when I graduated from SIU, uh, I got commissioned. This was in August of 1983, so probably a little bit further back than a lot of the guys you've been interviewing lately.
0: Nah, some of them. And, some of
3: them, uh, they'll predate you by quite a bit. Well, that's good. I'm glad <laughs> to hear that. Uh, you know, so I, I got a commission in the Marine Corps and uh, went to the basic school, and my hopes and dreams were crushed a little bit. Because uh, they said, after I got my flight contract, that when I was at the basic school, that, hey, your eyes are going to deteriorate a little bit faster, and I lost my flight contract. Mm. And that was be- before I even left the basic school, so it's wow. not like I was even in the flight program at all. Um, and I became an artillery officer. And uh, so I at that point in time, I was so motivated about being in the Marines, I wasn't even thinking about uh, doing anything different. Yeah, so I ended up in Camp Lejeune in 4th Battalion, 10th Marines, and uh, spent there a couple years there uh, as an artillery officer. And because I was a reserve commission, I had to augment to become a regular officer to stay in the Marine Corps. Mm. Uh, so there was a really elaborate process of boards and things like that because we were all competing for these regular commissions. And uh, ultimately, I got augmented to a regular commission, but they changed my MOS. Uh so uh, after about my third year in the Marine Corps, I became an intelligence officer. Hmm. So instead of PCSing, I just moved down the street to 2nd Battalion, <laughs> 4th Marines. Uh, it was a um, S-2 for an infantry battalion for several years, which uh, was an awesome experience. And I look back on that as probably one of my, you know, probably one of the things that really helped me throughout my career is being in 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. And then, uh, you know, I spent the rest of my career going in various jobs uh, in intelligence. Probably the highlights for me were um, three mu deployments, one to the Mediterranean, a couple to the Persian Gulf. Uh, this is obviously pre nine eleven, 11 Right. Um, you know, so when a lot of the Marine Corps was not deploying, I was deploying. And nowadays, it was just the opposite. Everybody's deploying.
0: Yeah. Now, coming from the family and being the son of a Navy pilot, and he finds out you joined the Marine Corps, what was Dad's reaction to that?
3: Yeah, it was kind of a hilarious phone call. (laughs) I I called home, and, you know, I didn't even say anything about joining the military at all at this point. I was kind of on the track for an airline job, I think. And uh, I called my dad, and I said, Hey, Dad, I just joined the Marine Corps. He goes, You did what? And I said, it's in the department of the navy and he goes what part is that and i go the best part and he hung up on me and that was the last <laughs> he, time you ever hung spoke to me. your <laughs> father yeah it was it was more fun and games right. than anything else but uh no i mean i, I have a son uh, my i have four boys my youngest son is a navy cb right now mm. and he's he's deployed to africa at this moment and you know so my wife's my wife's father was a uh Boiler Tech in the Navy uh, during World War II. My dad was a Navy pilot. Uh, my youngest son is a Navy CB. Apparently, I'm the only Marine in the family. Yeah. So, what what was wrong with you? I mean, I mean was... what's wrong
0: with them? <laughs> no, see, <laughs> as a Navy veteran, I'm fully on their side. What was wrong with you? There must have been some high-tension power lines around or yeah, something. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Caused <laughs> something like that. But we're speaking with David Graham, founder and CEO of MilitaryBuyOwner.com. He is also, of course, a Marine Corps veteran. Now, David, if you think back to the time when you got out of the Marine Corps, what was that period? You'd like that transition period going from Marine to civilian to Marine Corps veteran, and what were some of the lessons that you learned during it that you think might help people today?
3: Yeah, well, I had probably a little bit more unusual transition than most people have to deal with because my wife Sharon and I founded Military by Honor a couple of years before I retired. And really, one of the decisions that helped us make the decision to retire was the fact that Military by Honor was starting to take off. And, you know, I, I was not ready to retire. I, I was enjoying myself. I I love the Marine Corps. Um, but it was kind of like, this is not going to happen again. I need, I can't divert my attention to two different ways. I either got to give my all to the Marine Corps or I got to give my all to this company. And I chose to retire at that time. You know, so my transition was pretty simple, if you will. Right. That first year, we were a little bit nervous whether we'd make it through the winter as far as financially, Um, But we did. And from then on, you know, we could pay our bills and we were good to go.
0: When it comes to people who have a business idea in the military, I think a lot of them wait until after they're out to start things off. You did it while you were still in. Do you think that's a better way to go about it? While you still have that kind of uh, financial security of the Marine Corps, the Navy, the Army, the Air Force still giving you a paycheck every month if you can do it?
3: Yeah, I mean, the way I look at things is, you don't want to quit whatever job you're in, whether it's your, you know, your active duty military or any other job. You want to get another income before you jump ship. Mm. Um, so I kind of think that's the best way to go. If you've saved up money and you could make it for X amount of time, then that's fine. Um, but you know, in my case, I was not going to stop one job until I had a way to support my family the other way. You know, so. You know, it's just a matter of personal choice, but what I would recommend to everybody is don't wait. Um, you know, I mean, w- one of the greatest things that uh, I learned in the Marine Corps was it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. You know, so sometimes you just got to pull the trigger. You don't have to spend a lot of money. Start off slow. Grow organically. You know, you don't need to go find seed money. You don't have to go find investors Um, maybe in some businesses you do, but not all businesses, sometimes you're better off just starting off slow and growing off your success. Mm. And that's something that we've heard from some of the most successful entrepreneurs
0: out there. Yes, there are those who just kind of come out of the gates running and have a big idea and it blows up immediately. They're kind of few and far between. the The most successful, the largest number, largest percentage of successful veteran entrepreneurs and and business starters seem to have started slow and
3: kind of built up to yeah. get to the point. Where and they you don't are. have to hit a home run. No. Everybody, you know, you read all these books, you hear all these great stories like Facebook and everything else, and and you don't have to hit a home run. What you need to do is you need to be able to support yourself and or your family. That's all that's your minimum that you have to do. Yep. And if you can do that, you can grow from there. We're speaking with David Grand, CEO and founder of
0: militarybuyowner.com. And David, let's move on to talking about exactly what militarybuyowner.com is. Somebody walks up to you on the street, sees this stylish polo shirt that you're wearing and says
3: militarybuyowner.com. What is that? What do you say to that person? Well, militarybuyowner is a real estate advertising website. We advertise homes for sale and homes for rent around all the military bases in the U.S. You know, so our goal is to help military families find homes when they're moving, advertise for sale or for rent homes that they have you know, at their current duty station, and basically just try to reduce that stress of the PCS move by helping military families connect with one another you know, during a pretty stressful and financially impactful time in their military life. It is something
0: that I think each of us that served and lived or PCSed at least once is is familiar with. That, that struggle in finding like, all right, now I've, I know where I'm going to work, but where am I going to live when I'm down there? Every time I moved, I think I served at seven or eight duty stations in 13 years. So I moved around a lot and had to find a new place to live all but two of the times only, or one time, I think one or two of those, uh, duty stations. I lived on base and in, in the barracks. And then other than that, I was too high ranking, even without a family to live in the barracks. So had to go out in time ty- town, didn't have anything like this, at least that I was aware of. Is that where the idea for the company came from you and your wife realizing that there wasn't something like this available?
3: Yeah, we were home on leave, uh, back in 1999. We had just PCS from Germany back to, uh, northern Virginia and uh, we're home for Christmas and I'm talking to my dad saying hey we just bought a house I said "Boy, well, I hope we don't have to you know you know lose money on this house when we sell it because a lot of times you know you move in pretty quickly mm-hmm. it, it might not be the best idea to, to buy but we did in this case and he said doesn't the military have anything to hook you guys up and I said you know I don't know so uh, this is kind of pre-google being big so I got on America online and I did a couple searches, couldn't find anything, asked a few people, and that weekend we drove down to Best Buy in Fredericksburg, Virginia, bought Microsoft front page for hundred and twenty nine dollars and built the website that weekend. Um, you know, it's kind of like a Marine with crayons at that point, you know, just getting it all figured out. But but, you know, like any business, over time you improve on things and you and you grow. And we're right now we're in our fifth complete rebuild of the website mm-hmm. using it as a design company out of Chicago
0: how difficult is it to continue to adapt and adjust as you said going back to 99 I remember those days I remember getting America online CDs I remember getting America online floppy disks in the mail what's it been like making sure that the website is kept up to date and, and isn't outdated and not functional
3: yeah well as a small company you know we can't have the R&D budgets of you know some of the big national players mm. but what we can do is we can see what you know our Our visitors are looking for what they're expecting what they're getting used to and then we just have to keep rebuilding and adjusting and uh you know pivoting on whatever is the trend at that time we have been successful at doing it for 18 years um you know and i i hope that we can continue to do it for another 18 years we're speaking with David
0: Grand, founder and CEO of Military Buy Owner, a company that works to basically get those PCSing or moving into the vicinity of a military base into a house, whether it's buying or renting and just to do a little exploring i just clicked on my home state of connecticut of course there's sub base new london up there you've got coast guard station new haven there are a large number of houses for sale and for rent in the area of sub base new london specifically mystic Groton, norwich i mean just all over the place where do you find these houses i mean how how do
3: you go about sourcing the people that you're going to put on the website you know, we work 325 different military markets across the country. And really, it's not a matter of trying to get people to find us. It's trying to put ourselves in front of them where they go. So, so we, we support a lot of different uh, uh, military events, you know, throughout the year, uh, like Army uh, Expos, Modern Day Marine. We uh, sponsor a military spouse event that goes around the country. And we also, um, you know, do a lot of advertising online and uh, um, things like this, as a matter of fact.
0: Yeah. Well, there are a lot of people out there who may have bought a home in the area of a military base. Let's say it's, uh, you you were in the Marine Corps, some Marine down at Camp Lejeune thinks, I'm going to retire, I'm going to stay here in Camp Lejeune, ends up getting a job in California and has to move and has to sell the house. How do they how, how do they go about doing that, and how can you help
3: someone who's not looking for a place but looking to sell a place? Is there anything that you can offer to them? Right. So essentially, it's pretty simple. You just go to the website, militarybuyowner.com, and you create an account, and you build your own advertisement. You upload your own images, you write your own description, and you put your contact information down, whether it's you personally or if you have a property manager or a real estate agent um you can put their contact information down and when people are looking for homes they contact you or your representative directly we're not the middleman we're not a real estate company we're an advertising company mm.
0: And through that, I'm sure that you've had uh, some some things that have changed over the years. As far as as you already said, the website has had to change. You're and you've gone through several iterations of the website. When it comes to real estate, what have you noticed as far as you know? Are there more people looking to
3: rent these days? More people looking to buy? More people looking to sell? What are, what are you finding? Well, it's really market dependent. Mm. You know, like okay, so I'm trying to think of a place in the Navy where you've been. Let's well, let's just say maybe you don't want to live out in the desert. So a lot of people, maybe they don't buy a house like out in the desert, Yeah, you know, or, or they're not planning on going back there to retire, but a lot of people will buy a home, say in Northern Virginia or by Egland Air Force Base in Florida or Pensacola because they want to go back there someday. So some of that is driven by not the market, but by where they want to go back to. Mm. Um, other parts of it though, are driven by the market and, some areas, uh, you know, the trends are just that it makes more sense to buy, or it makes more sense to rent. Another piece is deploying. In our family, uh, when I was going to deploy a lot, we lived on base. Uh, when I was not going to deploy a lot, we either rented or we bought, and the purchase decision was based more on economics. Mm. You, you know, when you go into a situation in the military, when you got a future set of PCS orders, you got to have an exit strategy for that house if you're going to buy. Think about your exit strategy before you go buy your dream house. Like in three years, am I going to be able to sell this house? Mm. And if you think you can't sell it, then you got to say, okay, will I be able to rent it? And if you don't think you could rent it because of whatever reason, then you probably should rent yourself or live on base. Yeah, You know, so you just, I, what I would recommend to everybody is number one, uh, make sure you know your exit strategy before you buy. And number two is if you do buy, consider buying the smallest house in the best neighborhood that you feel comfortable in because by getting that price point down, when you do decide to sell it or rent it, you've just opened up the spectrum of the people who can afford it. And that's gonna make it a lot easier for you on the way out. We're speaking with David
0: Grant. He is the founder and CEO of Military Buy Owner. You can find out more about them by visiting their website, militarybuyowner.com is it still growing the company as far as the locations? Or are you guys pretty set and where you are? I'm sure there are locations, military installations that you you haven't really expanded to just yet. Yeah. What do you see as the future of the company?
3: Well, the markets that we've been using are pretty, or that we've been supporting, are pretty much the same and have been the same for a while. Every once in a while, we'll get a really small base that someone says, "Hey, how come you're not supporting this base?" And we'll just add it. Um, we have not expanded overseas. Uh, it's this is. We're only in the United States uh, um, to include Puerto Rico and Guam, uh, so that'll probably remain the same. Uh, but we're always trying to, to grow the number of people that are using the site uh, to find homes. So that's going to be you know, a, a constant effort on our part just to grow the popularity of the site.
0: And Guam is a place that I was familiar with, and actually, interestingly, I was just thinking about it as you were talking because a lot of people I was stationed there with were purchasing real estate on the speculation that you were going to have a whole bunch of Marines from Okinawa coming down to Guam. Still hasn't happened yet. That was well, it's because that talked
3: about. you know they were worried that the uh, island was going to tip over. Yes. <laughs> Congressman Johnson. Oh boy. Yeah. Let's let's
0: let's not rehash that uh, awful moment in the American congressional history. That poor admiral's eyes. You could hear them like just drying I think, out. I think the admiral handled <laughs> it very well. He did. Uh, no, no, Congressman. That is not a concern uh, at this time. He did leave it open for possibilities. So maybe they know something we don't. But yeah. when it comes to looking for uh, rental units, particularly. What are some of the things that people should keep an eye out for? And does military by owner do anything to vet the uh, the the houses that are available for rent? Do you have any way to know, like, hey, are these legit pictures? Or are these pictures of what the house looked like 10 years ago?
3: Yeah, no, we, we don't vet the advertisements on there, but we do have an, a pretty aggressive uh, policy for dealing with uh, violations of our terms of use. Mm. And our terms of use does require... That the pictures do represent the property. It's really not a matter of how old the pictures are, but they do need to represent the property. Right. Um, and you know, one of the biggest challenges for military families is that a lot of uh, a lot of us can't afford uh, to do a house hunting trip. So there's a lot of leases that are side, signed sight unseen. And I got to tell you, you know, sometimes you get forced into that situation, but you got to try to avoid it whether it's just asking your sponsor or a friend from a previous duty station that's already there to go and do like a FaceTime or something. Don't don't put them in a situation where they're making the, si- the decision for you. But like just say, hey, can you point the FaceTime camera under the kitchen sink for me? You know, go stand under the shower. Is my husband's head going to hit the shower head? <laughs> you know, things like that. And, and there is a uh, – we've been supporting – a a group of military spouses uh, called military scouts and you can find a lot of them and what they do is they'll go and they'll go look at houses for you and do that um, and do that type of a FaceTime thing for a small charge like 25 bucks, 35 bucks. So if you get into a bind and there's no other way that you can um, validate or you're you're about to sign a lease without seeing the house, check to see if there's a military scout there. You know, I mean, if, that that's just one way to kind of avoid that sight unseen problem.
0: It is something that, you know, you can struggle with because when you PCS, you'd rather not be living out of a hotel for an extended period of time, although that often is the case with people if you don't have the opportunity to go down there, you have two choices. One, live in a hotel for an extended period of time, or two, as you said, sight unseen, sign a lease. Maybe you're lucky enough to have a friend down there, but there are programs, like you said, like Military Scout, that will help people out with that. Um, When it comes to renting a a house for people who are moving into a new area don't know the area that well,
3: how would you recommend they go about trying to find out as much as they can about the area? Well, you know, there's... You know, on Military By Honor, we have a lot of different uh, resources for the areas where um, you can get some basic information. And then there's a couple bases that we've written uh, ebooks on that give you a lot more. But, you know, on the internet now, you can find out just about anything, you know. So, you know, one of the biggest things that people try to identify, particularly with school age kids, are, you know, what are the schools? And, and, uh, what are the reputations of the schools? And, you know, there's different grading services out there that say how one school performs against another. Um, you know, that should be probably one of your first concerns if you have kids. But, you know, there's different things like walkability scores and things like that. How close are you to, number one, the base? What's the commute like? For instance, here in Northern Virginia, um, the commute is terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going north on 95, you're going to get stuck. You know, so sometimes you look at things like reverse commutes and if you get, talk to people and do a little searching and get that information, you're going to be way ahead of the game. Really, a lot of great information available
0: through MilitaryByOwner.com. Going to the website, you can click around and, and see a lot of things. There's resources. It also looks like you have links for people to find out more information about VA loans and things like that. Uh, Military By Owner certainly has a lot available for uh, those who are looking to PCS or looking for some place to live. And that's, that's an important part. Of life, we've been speaking with David Grant, founder and CEO of Military by Owner. And David, if people want to find out more about the website, if they want to reach out and maybe put a listing on there, or find out uh, where you might have listings, how do they go about doing
3: that? It's very simple, just like you know our day our daily life. It's just uh, HTTP. Excuse me. I'll just we'll skip the HTTPS. It's <laughs> www.militarybyowner.com. That's with a B Y O W N R dot com law case and we also have an android app and we also have an iphone app for home searching
0: wow so if you are someone who is in the real estate business around military locations looking to pcs looking to move into an area where there is a military base that's a final question for you let's say someone's not in the military but they're going to be living near let's say fort meade maryland or something like that is military by owners a, a resource that you think they should take a look at
3: yeah, absolutely. We don't restrict access to the site. We made that decision many, many years ago just to make sure that enough choices are there for military families when they move into an area. So if you're, uh, you own a property that you want to advertise to the military, by all means, you can create an account and put it on Military by owner. David Graham, founder and CEO of
0: Military by Owner. That website again, militarybyowner.com. Thank you so much for joining us on the morning briefing today. We appreciate your time, even if you went against the grain for the family and didn't join the world's finest Navy and instead joined that
3: Marine Corps thing. Yep, and I loved every minute of it. Thanks for the time here, Eric. (laughs) No problem.
2: Helping military veterans stay connected.
3: We make it easy.
2: We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online
1: and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets.
0: Welcome back to The Morning Briefing, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer in ConnectingVets.com, that's your website. We're taking a look at all of the veteran-related issues taking place today. Things like those GI Bill benefits that Jake and I were talking about earlier and that we're going to talk about with our next guest in just a couple of minutes, as well as some really good things going on out there. Some technological updates to wheelchairs that are going to make They're more comfortable and less uh, less problematic, I guess, when it comes to shock. Wheelchairs are not typically built to deal with shock. However, sometimes you got to take them downstairs, off a curb, things like that. There's changes coming to that. You can check out those stories and oh so much more, including some great historical articles. That's the kind of thing I really like. How about the U.S. Army's only all-Mexican-American infantry unit to see combat in World War II? Yeah, we've got that for you and so much more. So visit ConnectingVets.com. And don't forget, we're on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You know who else is on social media? Amvets, American veterans one of the big veteran service organizations out there doing whatever they can each and every day to make sure that veterans are spoken for and veterans are taken care of not just their membership they're trying to help all veterans that are out there and now their head honcho that's his official job title Joe Schinelli joins us in studio Joe how are you today. Never better. Good morning, Eric. I guess I need new business cards now. Absolutely. Executive director, that's old school. We're talking new school, baby. Snapchats and MySpaces and things like that. Get a GeoCities page up and you'll be all set, head honcho.
4: Word. Yeah. All
0: right. Well, Joe joins us uh, after not being in studio last week because you were down in Tennessee for the Heel Summit. How did that go? Let's do a brief recap of it. We sure. talked about it a little bit yesterday, but let's uh, now that you've had a week to reflect on everything that took place down there, what do you think of the event? Sure. So
4: this was our first town hall meeting that we held. We held it just in uh, suburban Nashville at a National Guard armory down there. Um, we had uh, um, about 100 people show up, veterans, uh, who talked about and just wanted them to openly talk about. Um, that there are issues with health care, um, whether that's receiving their health care through the VA or through community partners, uh, if it's provided by the VA and paid for by the VA. Um, I, I would say it was, it was fairly eye-opening. Um, we talked with a lot of veterans already here in D.C., of course, but it's great and really important to get out there into the community. Uh, we had uh, s- several uh, media agencies out there with us as well, uh, local media um, but the really important thing that we had, and the people, the veterans there did not know this until th- toward the end of the two hours, we had several se- um, senior officials uh, for the region and for the local uh, VA and uh, one person from national, um, from you know, the federal aid, uh, level of it, and they were there listening, uh, unbeknownst to the veterans. So the veterans were able to really be unfiltered, uh, open about everything. Uh, they were able to talk about some of the challenges, some of the things that they'd like to see improve, but they also talked about some of the positive experiences they have. Um, so it was really valuable. And at the end, we we kind of did this reveal, and we pulled the the VA staff up in front of everybody, and they just said, "Hey, this is who we are, and we appreciate it. we've been listening, and we're going to act on this." And they they gave a little bit of insight and some feedback and what they had heard. Um, be honest. Some of the feedback was a little disappointing, um, but it was just—it was really great that they were able to be there and, and listen to it. Um, we, uh, as M vets, were taking uh, great notes uh, on this stuff because we 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 will be bringing these messages back to Washington. In fact, I have a meeting later today with the uh, staff director for the House Veterans Affairs Committee. We'll be talking about some of this stuff, and then we're right back on the road. And for anyone who's in Florida on August eighth. 6 6.30 p.m. at the Caribe Royale Convention Center in Orlando, just a mile outside of the Disney Gate. We're going to have another town hall meeting there. Um, that's our next one. We expect about a 1,000 veterans there. Wow. And we also are working right now. We're scheduling town hall meetings in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Missouri. will be our next three hmm. after Orlando. So we're going to be out there. We want to hear from people. Uh, we're going to have some social media elements to this as well. So if we're not in your community yet, uh, there will be other opportunities Um, through Facebook, uh, our MVETS uh, national uh, page, to be able to interact with us and let us know what you're thinking as well.
0: Great that you had those VA employees there and that the audience didn't know about it, I think is even better because then you you have people who are going to try and be polite if they know that the people they're talking about are there. Of course, those VA employees now have a new boss. And actually, we were in here doing the show. I look up at the TV and what do I see? But Joe And uh, Marion Polk, your uh, uh, national commander of AMVETS, with Robert Wilkie after he was confirmed by the Senate. Uh, He is now through, basically. Secretary of the VA, Robert Wilkie. What do you think about his confirmation? I know that you're hopeful. We've talked about it in the past. But now that it's actually there, uh, is he already getting to work from what you've seen? And uh, what do you think should be his first order of business?
4: Uh, He has a a few final legal steps here. Uh, He still has to be sworn in. Uh, he was with the president uh, earlier this week, uh, so he, he's out there in the public now. Um, our understanding is the transition is now taking place. Uh, I'll be speaking with him a little bit later this week. He'll be down with us in Orlando as well, um, so we're excited with, about that to, be able to speak with him and for him to be able to hear directly from our members. Uh, I, I'm feeling very positive about his nomination. Uh, I, I think he his mind is in the right place right now. Um, we, we've also had a lot of turmoil here in the last few weeks, uh, in between the time as him him as acting and now uh, going to be as a confirmed secretary. Right.
0: Yeah. There's been a lot of uh, a lot of things going on mm-hmm. over at the VA. Uh, is that his first order of business? Kind of settle everything down, you think, and then take aim at the big items, or does he have to do it all at once? Uh,
4: there's a lot to do at once, absolutely. But uh, he is a a methodical person. He he believes in uh, trusting the process type of thing. Uh, I believe the first thing he's going to do is come in here and build his team out, um, bring in exactly who he wants. Uh, you know, when he first came in as acting, he really did not know that he was going to become a, a candidate for the permanent position. That's what he's told me himself. Uh, I, I certainly believe him on that. So he did not make a ton of changes then. I think he'll make some changes, as just about every secretary does when they come in. They'll bring in their own, whether it's chief of staff or deputy or uh, top aides. Uh, he, I know he's has some people who'll be bringing over from the Pentagon, other people he's worked with. Uh, a difference between him and say uh, Secretary Shulkin is that a uh, Robert Wilkie has worked in this city yeah. know, for a while, so he knows people. He has a good network. He has people he can trust and people he knows are capable.
0: Yeah, and and also interesting, though, I want to get your take on this. The acting secretary over there right now, O'Rourke, uh, there were some people in fairly high positions that were essentially let go at the VA over the last few weeks. Do you think that this is because uh, Wilkie was planning on replacing them and they somehow know that? Or do you think this could be a difficult thing where somebody might have been let go and Wilkie comes in and goes, no, 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 no. I wanted that person and now brings them back on. I mean, it, it seems like not the right time to be doing that a couple of weeks before a new secretary comes in.
4: I agree. It's, a, it's definitely a, a dynamic situation right now. And, um You know, uh, Secretary Wilkie was still undersecretary over at the Pentagon at that time, so he had a job in the federal government and that was not being the VA secretary. And so uh, he released a statement um, through his spokesperson, and I've spoken with the spokesperson as well, and confirmed uh, that Robert Wilkie had no, no input on those moves that happened while in between his time. When he left Vermont Ave, which is where uh, their central, the VA central office is. And so when he left there, he had no more input of what was happening in that building. And so a lot of these changes that he now inherits, apparently he was not privy to those decisions. Hmm. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, I will say he had, uh, I, I believe, had some solid input on having uh, Peter O'Rourke become the acting secretary. Uh, he had, of course, brought him in or was working with him as when uh, O'Rourke was the chief of staff when Wilkie was the acting secretary. So you have to assume that they're on some type of a similar mindset. Right. Uh, but there were some troubling comments as well in the confirmation hearing where Wilkie in um, the, the scandal now about the IG, but whether or not the VA was you know, providing the information, being open with the IG and cooperative. Yeah. Um, so we have a lot to see uh, how things are going to work out here. Uh,
0: however it is, they need to, to get it done and get it moving forward. There's something else taking place over at the VA, and we're speaking with Joe Schinelli, Executive Director of AMVETS. He's uh, paying attention to all this stuff as it happens. That's a big part of what AMVETS does, and that is VA employees, specifically the union members over there, rallying against the president's workforce orders. What can you tell us about this issue and what the uh, the union members are, are saying about it?
4: So the, um, the president back in May, I believe it was, um, put out three executive orders that uh, limit and reduce union activity within the federal government. So this is not just specific to the VA. Uh, some of the media outlets that we pay attention to covered this, and they covered specifically the VA aspect of it, but this is employees across the federal government here in Washington. Um, and so a lot of the complaints out there are that there are employees, federal government employees, who do 100% of their work is union work. So it's organizing work, It's um, whether it's – uh, they're ordinate- doing union stuff. They're union not stuff, doing stuff. Even though they're yeah. they're federal employees. Right. Uh, the unions say that's that's not quite the case. Um, their pushback's not particularly strong, but they do believe that they need to continue to have a strong union. And so that's what the, this rally was about yesterday. Uh, a few hundred federal employees, which included some VA employees and... Uh, you know, uh, like Stars and Stripes picked out the veterans who were in there and, and spoke with them. And it was it was insightful. and It was good to hear what, what they have to say. And that's, that's what a rally like that should be all about. Um, vets has not taken a position on this. We, we believe that uh, the VA should do whatever is most efficient to provide the best services possible to, to veterans and their families. Uh, so we need to see what that is. Um, we do think the president's within his rights to be able to do this here. I don't think there's anything right. illegal happening here. Uh, but you know, the legal legal issues around the union are always going to be uh, hot spots and especially when there's a when there's a republican in the white house
0: yeah and when it comes to hearing that there are employees of the government who are union members who 100% of the work that they do is union related and not related to the why is the government paying them I when I worked in New York to work in media in New York it's it's a union city you have to be a member of either SAG-AFTRA that's the screen actors guild and radio and television one or the writers guild if you're not on air or on screen and we had shop stewards in our offices who were not union employees, they were union representatives. And then the union was a totally separate organization. The union organizers that did 100% of the union work weren't being paid by like CBS or ABC or NBC. They were being paid by the union. That's how it normally works. It's kind of uh, upsetting to hear that there are people being paid by the government to operate as uh, union members and only union members. That's that's uh, That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like someone who should be collecting a government paycheck. They should be collecting a paycheck from that union. And I'm going to assume that like all unions I'm aware of, they're collecting dues from their members. So they have money to pay people. Why then are government employees doing union work completely and being paid by the government? Does that, does that make any sense to you, or do you have an answer
4: to that question? If this is indeed what's happening, which uh, there's several senators assert um, this is what's happening, there's whistleblowers who have said this is exactly what's happening, then I agree that's 100% incorrect. It's wrong. Um, and you're right. These unions are fairly well-funded. They have lost some cases lately that uh, keep them from being able to force – yeah, federal that should, employees that not be paying dues, but uh, the unions yeah. have been pushing hard on that as well. Yep. But I, I want to be clear: AFGE, uh, American Federal Government's Employee Union, is someone we work with because um, we really do appreciate the employees at the VA, and morale has been low at the VA for several years now for a lot of reasons, and we've talked about most of those reasons on this show over the you know p- past year. But but there is reform that's needed here, oh, yeah. and uh, th- the president's putting that in place and. Uh, it'll be interesting to watch this work out in the courts here. Um, the most important thing here is to keep the VA moving forward and so that these employees can continue to provide top-notch service.
0: It's it's interesting. Whenever you have something that needs to be reformed, it's at whatever group you're talking about at the thing that needs reforming, in this case the VA, points to the others there. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it's not us that needs to be reformed. It's them. Meanwhile, them are saying that it's us. It's, it's just a nasty situation. And again, the bureaucracy over there and the difficulty over the years of being able to remove bad actors from the VA. The Whistleblower and Accountability Protection Act was supposed to change that, but then you add unions into the equation and you have things like the director of the D.C. Medical Center here who was fired and then the union basically sued to have him put back into his job and then he was fired again shortly thereafter. Done quote-unquote the right way. Uh, And, 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 you know, there are people who are very pro-union. For me, if it's optional, sure. But when I look at the union i had to be a member of uh, i paid dues to them and what i got a- out of it was discounted tickets to an award show um, the ability to go to like workshops and movie screeners at the end of the year mostly for movies that i had no interest in seeing um it, they they took a lot of money from me and i don't know what i got back they would argue well we made sure that you were able to earn a living wage but you know what i think i could have uh, actually negotiated for a higher wage at my employer in new york if it hadn't met the uh, I was being paid the maximum that the union allowed I, it's it's just one of those things where not everybody's going to agree you're going to have different opinions on things when it comes to the federal government and unions that's a slightly different ball of wax where I think people have uh, stronger opinions particularly as you said if it turns out that there are union members who are doing nothing but union work while collecting a government paycheck I, that's not the way it's supposed to happen. Again, our shop steward uh, at the radio station I worked at in New York City, he did union stuff like one day a week, maybe. And other than that, he was working normal shifts just like everybody else. He was one of us. And uh, its it's kind of upsetting to hear about that. But then again, you never know if you're getting the full story. Is that true? Is it not true? A lot of people say it is. A lot of people say it isn't. Everything's partisan these days. You've got people on one side or the other, and we need look no further than Wilkie's confirmation. And let's talk about that very briefly, Joe. For the first time ever in the 30 years, I believe, that there has been a Secretary of Veterans Affairs, we had votes against the secretary nominee when it finally got to the uh, the the confirmation process in the Senate. Nine senators voting against him, again, broken down along party lines, and I believe all nine of them are in an election year, uh, are coming up on facing an election, if not all of them, then certainly most of them, uh, and I think personally, probably just don't want to be seen as uh, approving of anything that the president is doing, because that could work out negatively for them with their base. What did you think about, Having nine senators vote against Wilkie and specifically a member of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee and Bernie Sanders, who during the Senate uh, Veterans Affairs hearing said he was voting against him, not because of Wilkie, but because uh, he was nominated by the president. I mean, he was open about that, that it had nothing to do with the individual he was actually voting on, but the person who nominated him.
4: So at the top here. This, this does not affect Wilkie in any real way. No. Uh, he's hired, if it was 51 votes or 86 votes, as the case was, he's, he's now going to be the secretary of the VA. Um, and I believe that he does have strong support from Congress, uh, aside from that, that, who voted for him, who did not vote for him. I think he'll be able to move his agenda through uh, pretty well and pretty easily. Uh, you're right, Bernie Sanders, uh, Senator Sanders, was the one and only senator who actually spoke up and uh, was able to say why he was voting against uh, the secretary and he said he was not actually voting against wilkie he was voting as you said he was voting against the trump pick because a lot of what president trump talks about uh, in the va can be construed as um you know what he says uh, it, at times it does sound like he's talking about privatization he's talking about uh, allowing unfettered choice which would completely degrade the va um uh, but the VA has been immune to these protest votes for a long time. Hmm. Uh, I mean, pretty much forever, in, in fact. So it, it is disappointing if that's the, the sole reason that someone's voting against Wilkie was because of who nominated him, because um, that's not what the vote's actually about. Um, yeah. Protest votes, just they don't have room in the veterans community. There's no room for them in the veterans community, I should say. Um, but again, I think uh, – Senator, or, uh, Secretary Wilkie is going to be able to move on from this pretty quickly, and uh, it's an unfortunate for him because I think he's a, r- a really highly qualified candidate. I think he's one of the more highly qualified candidates we've had in a while, uh, and I, I, think he, I think he's going to do a great job.
0: Again, looking at the people who voted against him, uh, just checked on four of them while we were talking here. Out of the four, three of them are up for re-election this year. Uh, Kamala Harris, who voted against him, is not, I don't believe. Uh, She just came into office in 2017. Um, So, yeah, it's it's a political thing. And we've seen it before with, like, the omnibus spending bill where, again— Bunch of uh, Congress members decided to remove uh, veteran positive things from that bill so that they could then vote against the bill while not appearing to be against veterans. It's gamesmanship, and uh, that's okay in the world of politics, but when it starts negatively affecting veterans is when uh, I think people start getting a little irritated, whether it's the VSOs, whether it's the average veteran like me. It's just... Not cool to play those sorts of games with those things, in my opinion. No matter what party you're on, uh, it just come on, man. Do the right thing. Not don't base it on you know who's. I look at it this way: like if President Trump uh, comes up with something for uh, the cure for cancer and they have to vote on it, are they going to vote against it because it's President Trump who did it? <laughs> There's some who might, <laughs> sadly enough, these days. So, yeah, it's one of those interesting things out there. We're speaking with Joe Chanelli from AmVets. He is their executive director, a.k.a. Head Honcho. Although, really, Merriam Polk is the head honcho. He's he got running that right. things <laughs> over there. He can. He's calling you up at 2 a.m. like, Schinelli, what are you doing? <laughs> All right, good. Keep it up. Um, speaking of the VSOs and the other VSOs, we, of course, just saw the president speaking in front of one of the other VSOs, the Veterans of Forum Wars, at their national convention in Kansas City earlier this week on Tuesday. Uh, a lot of hubbub about that. A lot of people saying it got too political for what was supposed to be, you know, a basically non-political forum. Uh, what did you think about the president speaking at one of your fellow VSOs in that manner?
4: Sure. I, I think it's really important for the president to address at least one of the veterans organizations each year. He was at American Legion last year in Reno. I was there with him. Um. It's important that we're able to hear directly from the president. Um, I I agree there was some real disappointment in how this overall event went. Um, To me, my disappointment was that he pulled a candidate for the U.S. Senate uh, up onto the stage and uh, pretty much uh, not allowed but encouraged him to give a a short campaign speech Hmm. uh, in what is a nonpartisan event. And you know, our national convention is coming up in Orlando, and we may or may not have uh, you know a senior official there as well. Um, and if, if that's to happen, we, we need to keep it apolitical. It's, it has to be about veterans' issues. It has to be uh, – obviously, the president has other messages he has to deliver. So if he needs to talk about tariffs, if he needs to talk about national defense, uh, if he needs to talk about transportation or something like that, something completely aside, that's – obviously something you need to uh, be able to allow the president to do um uh, you know for being there um because he's also speaking to the nation when he speaks um but the the real uh, focus of that event needs to be about veterans because that's that's who the host is here yeah. and um so it, it was difficult to see uh, someone be able to come on, come up there and talk about uh, electing more of a certain party to to congress uh, that's not something that the president should have allowed and i know that's something uh I'm sure, the VFW is disappointed about uh, the, the hubbub about the media. Uh, full disclosure, oh, yeah. uh, you know, I used to be a reporter. Um, right. <laughs> when I first left the military in uh, Marine Corps, you know, I worked for uh, yeah. Military Times and then uh, USA Today. And so I have a lot of respect for journalism. I still have newspaper ink in my blood. Um, uh, what you'd said earlier in the show before I came on, uh, I agree. I don't think the president was talking about. Uh, some of the, the the great military and uh, veteran correspondents out there, like Leo Shane and Nikki Wentling and Kelly Kennedy, and uh, you know, the list goes on. Um, but I can see why they came to his to their defense. That yeah. those are their colleagues. Um, I, I don't think, you know, it's it's impossible to get into uh, the members' heads, the VFW members' heads, and know what they were thinking when they uh, turned around and booed and hissed at the, the media. Um, I, I think one, they were kind of. Caught up in the excitement having uh, the president there at, at yeah. their convention. Um, but the media, and most certainly inc- including, especially connecting vets here, you know, you guys do really important work on letting the, the nation know what veterans need and what veterans are, are going through and, you know, what Congress needs to do. And that's why I, uh, I come out here every week because it's, it's so important to be able to, you know, to, to let your listeners know that those types of things. So the media does obviously very important part of our our country and our, our democracy.
0: And there are uh, people doing great work out there, and but let's also not kid ourselves. There are members of the media out there who are doing grandstanding, look at me stuff, and using the current political climate to further their own uh, image and all that thi- all that stuff. And I-, I don't care for that from some people doing it. And uh, again, when I looked at it uh, from my perspective, I thought he was speaking mostly to the White House press corps, the people that follow him around every day and are peppering him with questions and writing, uh, you know, basically everything about it. Is negative. I didn't see it as an attack on those who cover the veteran industry. Uh, I could see, though, how that that kind of solidarity with uh, the, all those in the community of journalism uh, would come together there. I think that most journalists out there, particularly the people you were talking about, when you're talking about like Nikki and Leo and Kennedy or and Kelly, I don't know why I'm using her last name. When you're talking about them, they're willing uh, in most cases to take in both sides and look at both sides. And in the veteran community, you kind of have to, because one thing that I've had people who are not very clued into the veteran community, talk to me about, including a very famous comedian who was in here not too long ago. And, uh, you know, spoke to him for a little bit. He was visiting one of the other stations. He said, Oh, you guys are veterans. You must really hate the president. huh?" I was like, actually he's got a lot of support in the military and veteran community. And that's something that uh, I think a lot of people don't, Understand, maybe don't want to understand <laughs> that his ratings within the uh, the military and the veteran community. You can look at a recent Military Times poll that came out late last year. Uh, it's better than it is in most other communities in the country. So it wasn't that surprising to me to see the uh, the VFW membership there do that. Uh, although, as you said, kind of uh, disappointing for the the forum. That's not what the VFW convention is supposed to be about. As a member of that organization, I can certainly say that it's supposed to be about veterans, and that's it, it turned into something else. But But, you know, kind of everything does these days. Despite the fact that the current political climate is kind of wacky and things are changing every day, AMVETS is keeping up with all of it. We've been speaking with their executive director, Joe Schinelli. Joe, if people want to find out more about AMVETS, find out about these upcoming heal summits taking place around the country, where do they go to do so?
4: Yeah, please find us at AMVETS.org. We're on all the social media networks at AmvetsHQ. Um, We're going
0: to have a lot of live feeds coming uh, from Orlando uh, on our Facebook page. So love to see you there. You've been listening to the Morning Briefing Thursday edition. Coming up on the Friday edition, we've got Leo Shane from Military Times. He's going to be in studio, and we're going to speak to a representative from the VFW. I'm not 100% sure who it's going to be just yet, but we'll talk more about their national conference out in Kansas City. Hope you have a great day. Replay of this show coming up 11 a.m., 4 p.m., and we'll be back tomorrow morning. See you then.
1: Helping military veterans stay connected.
2: We make it easy.
1: We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day.
2: Online and all over social media: Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?